All right. Hello and welcome back. This is Colin Keeley here. And I'm Brent Sanders. We are two guys buying and building wonderful internet companies. Yes, sir. And what's happening this week on the, uh, the internet companies of Vernet? Okay. Normally you do the intro. I can do it. So <laughs> we got one, uh, a bigger deal under LOI. And this one, we're playing it a little differently as far as like due diligence and stuff. And so basically we heard this from uh, a competitive firm, how they like to do it is like basically act as the owner right away. So you jump into their Slack, you jump into all their meetings and it basically makes the transition period much longer. So you get introduced as the owner and kind of the goal here is like in the investor community, there's always a talk of as soon as the deal closes, there's that, oh shit board meeting, the other shoe drops, you find out all the things that you maybe wanted to know going in. And this is a different, so the goal here is avoiding that, oh shit meeting. And, but the reality is all these companies were buying at this size, like they're not perfect. And if it was a perfect company, we couldn't possibly afford it. So really just understanding those issues walking in. Yeah, the deal has to have hair on it. It does for us to be able to buy it or else it'd be like 100 times revenue multiple or like a, a multi-billion dollar company. And if it didn't have hair on it, yeah, I don't know that we would do it either. I don't know that we would be in this space because that's that seems to be the most interesting part. Yeah, there's a reason they're smaller companies are not huge. There's clearly flaws. They're not not perfect. If there were perfect, I don't know. I don't think a single perfect company exists or else they're growing so quickly that it's, they'd never possibly sell out. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it seems like a really interesting methodology to be able to try before you buy, but there is a good part of it. That's the, I think, commitment factor. It's like, Hey, we're going to tell her, we're going to make this proclamation, this affirmation in front of everyone else. And there's no easy out, right? There's no, we're making a commitment, which I think is a really good way to, to do it. It's like, you have to have a certain amount of underlying trust to, to start a deal. Yeah. I heard this crazy stat on Twitter this week that only 25% of LOIs close, which is apparently a search wow. fund stat, which seems wild. So we've crazy. never failed to close an LOI on our end. We always, you know, enter with the intention of closing. We had one seller back out, which you talked about last podcast at 25% just seems so, so low, but maybe that is the case. Right. Yeah, I guess it's the commitment part. The visibility part is great as well. Cause like you're going to find the information eventually. And so, so you can best to get it all out in front and early right out <laughs> off the bat. So you can start talking about how can we get this deal done instead of like, how can I get out of this deal? Yeah. And you, then otherwise you have this very brief transition period and then you're on your own. Like maybe you could pay them to continue to advise you and help you. Mm. But I would like to not be on my own until I know as much as I possibly can. That's one thing that I find interesting is I always saw that like empire flippers or those kind of early tier business, internet business websites where it would, a big part of the deal was how long the, the owner was going to stand for. And, and I'll give you this amount of time and then you pay X rate and Y rate and Z rate. And then I'm done. You, you'll never hear from me or I'll give access to my development team or something like that, where you're implying someone else's participation, which I always think is bullshit. Like you can't guarantee me that somebody that doesn't directly work for you doesn't directly work for you is going to fulfill some obligation that you made for them. It's, it's never going to happen. The other thing is we haven't really looked at any businesses that are from a technical perspective that are like a rebuild. Like we've never come in and just said, Hey, we don't really care what the tech is. We want these customers or we want your, some asset you have versus I think that's where these 
deals are, are always the most interesting from a technical perspective, but it's, it's always been in the spirit of, hey, we're going to try to preserve all these different sort of code bases and, and give them a, a better place to live. And these like the software custodianship, we were trying to make these better products for long-term versus, hey, we're just going to come in and rate it. Yeah, that is more of ESW of like how broken of a you know tech product are you willing to go? And they will go like all the way broken. They'll take on like the crazy <laughs> tech debt and get it for a crazy multiple, understandably, but it is some of that or all of it mostly falls on you. Like I, I don't have anything to add in that portion. Brutal. Yeah. So let's talk about that a little. That's funny. Have you ever signed up for a service that you later found like as you logged in, you were getting charged monthly. Like it, it just totally didn't work. Our, our payment processor, NCR, <laughs> like I'm trying to grab reports for a month and it literally just doesn't work. I can do yeah. it for two days at a time. Um, yeah. That is the only one I can think of. And it's a monstrous company, like a multi-billion dollar company. Yeah. Have you ever had that experience? I have. Yeah. I think it was like a e-fax type of service that was supposed to be, you, know, you sign up for once because like, God damn it, I have to fax something. I'm not working in an office and just having a laptop, I sign up for something quickly. And this is probably in 2007. And you come back to, to send that one fax a year and it, it doesn't even work. And you're like, I've been paying for this. Are you kidding? There was other stuff that's happened too, that I've seen that has been purchased. There was a company go-to meeting. I feel like that was like one of the first really easy just, hey, let me share my screen with you, cross-platform mm -hmm. software uh, products. And it was like, it was great. And then Citrix bought it. And then it just slowly declined. And uh, you know, eventually these services became free, but also Zoom came out and slayed everybody. Anything else to add on this? Or you want to talk about Constitution DAO since I think we started that last podcast? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about the, the biggest UX blunder of 2021. Uh, so first, uh, how it played out for the people that, I don't know, weren't listening. So we had our total, which is, it ended up being like 40 million or something. And then I think you have to take 25% of that out in fees. And we ended up losing to Ken Griffin, who uh, <laughs> famous founder of Citadel and recurring villain to internet to groups everywhere. So with the big GameStop debacle, he was on the other side of that kind of screwing retail traders. And then again, he, I don't know if he just hates those internet kids, but he swept in, knew our highest bid and bid like a dollar more and bought it. So definitely like the most entertaining possible outcome for that one. Was liquidity the, the difficulty or is this seriously, they couldn't get the gas fees? So the situation was Ken Griffin knew how much money we had and Sotheby's basically required the Ethereum to be turned into cash. And mm. so there's no ability to add more money. So Ken, who is like the, one of the best traders of all time, knew like our highest bid. He's like, okay, thank you, everyone. I'll do bid $1 more. Chamath <laughs> had a really good point where he's, I could have been like, they should have given all the money to me. And I would have had the ability to bid more and bid to a higher number. But the, basically the way the whole thing was structured was we had no ability to add more money. And so we lost, obviously. But the bigger thing was like the team behind it they were super young and inexperienced and they definitely set this up as a joke and it really took off. And then there's $40 million in Ethereum sitting in this account. <laughs> and they're like, we're going to turn it into people or we're going to turn it into we the people and they had different names for the tokens that they're going to do. And they had no plan for it. So on Twitter, Saturday morning is when I make my like crypto trades because the gas fees are the lowest and I'm awake because I'm going to go play basketball like a little after that. And so I very responsibly, after they just tweeted out, hey, we're not going to do anything with the people tokens, like just go redeem your funds. I was like, fine, I'll go take out my you know, $300. And so I paid my 50 bucks, redeemed my little bit of money and I went on my way. 
And then you messaged me five hours later. What happened to you? It was just watching what was was happening. I'm not going to admit to any particular trades, just in case somebody was trying to interpret this as investment advice, because this is not what's <laughs> okay. on this show. We're not making investment advice. Um, but yeah, it turned them into coins. They went up at like, what, 200%, and they stayed up for a little bit. But if you, this was similar to what happened with Ethereum Name Services airdrop, where it's like, hey, we're going to convert this to something else. There's a way to get converted into tokens. So I started seeing all these tweets after that about people, what they were, they didn't know how to use the, the user interface. That was the craziest thing. Is it, it was like, do you want to claim or redeem? So those, I don't really know the difference between those two words. And then the way that UI set up was set up, it was like people thought they were converting them to people tokens. And it's just furthers the fun of <laughs> cryptocurrency, which is, I feel like we're all playing like an interactive version of the Oregon Trail. It's, it's like very primitive, the way that you're moving things between the different blockchains and, and the tools that are available to support it right now are so primitive that it reminds me of the Apple IIe a little bit, but it, it, it's exciting because you're like, oh, I get how this could work. Yeah. The people token, I think is now gone to zero. Is, oh, just a, it? is it? I don't know. I'm asking, is it an uh, official shit coin? I would argue it's always a shit coin, which is why <laughs> I responsibly took my money out. But everyone else <laughs> on Twitter who did not do that, they were saying like $200 would have been like $10,000. So many of them just redeemed it for people and then immediately turned that into Ethereum and got out. So yeah. that was, I would say far more wild than the CNS job. Like all these people made so much money after they were expecting to lose like 50% of their money in gas fees. So all these people pumping this thing up and then selling off is I think what to expect out of this crypto market in specific, maybe even like retail trading similar now where people have this expectation of everything's going to have a pop to it. It's, it feels frothy. So I, yeah, it did cross token. my mind. If you get in in almost any like reasonable token early, it's a super liquid market. So you hear about it first and other people hear about it and then they start buying in and that just like functionally makes the price rise. So I did think, oh, this people token is just launching. I got like in the, the launch phase of it. It's almost certainly going to go up and then I could get out. And then I was just like, ah, they said they're not going to do anything. I'll just take my money out. But it's crazy. Yeah, that's the thing though. It, it really is true. Like these, anything that pops up is going to have a certain, I think I saw Busta Rhymes pumping some coin the other day. And it's, I love Busta, but everybody's got a, a hand in this. And it feels like that coupled with COVID is, is also a little kind of freakish where I don't know if you have any friends that have just gone off the deep end during COVID, but I have a couple and they all seem to be fully into this sort of going to the casino. They, they call the, the casino closing at, at 3.30, but it, it's like the stock market and the crypto market coupled with this, like everyone staring at their screens and at home, it's just creating like a, a, a weird time. And I feel like there's, everyone's talking about this rumbling of, of things are going to, the bubble's going to pop. I think, who is it? Charlie Munger was on. It was interviewed some panel saying he's he applauded China for banning uh, cryptocurrency. I've seen him say things along those lines. He hates it, but I don't know if I'm taking latest technology advice from a 97 year old <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> Although but I, he's I so successful, you can say, yeah. you sound like my mother. He's so successful. He knows what he's doing. <laughs> he does, but yeah, that was an interesting statement. But it, the guy definitely knows something about markets, so you can't really just dismiss him because he's old. But still, it's like. There's something to this that feels very, it's exciting, but it's also a little uncharted territory. Yeah. I have this theory that like the internet and algorithms are driving everyone crazy, which seems <laughs> yes. to be the case. So I have like 
the one example recently was at, was at an outdoor farmer's market. And this young woman with two masks on was like, I got to get out of here. She actually says this out loud. We got to get out of here. We're too close together. That's no one was in like 10 feet of her outdoors and she's masked and everyone has vaccines already. It's like, I think a lot of people are, get so deep into the news that they credibly think like COVID is a hundred times more dangerous than it is or a thousand times more dangerous. And people just are live in such fear because they're like so deep into the news. And the other example of this I have is, so my wife is a pediatric neurologist. And this was a big story in the Wall Street Journal recently as well, where uh, TikTok and ticks are like a big thing, like Tourette syndrome ticks. And a lot of teenage girls are so deep into TikTok that they start effectively mimicking these ticks. It's called a, a functional neurological disorder. So they are behaving as if they have these ticks, but then they go in and see a neurologist and the neurologist says, yeah, these aren't ticks. Like they're far too complicated. Like one of the famous influencers yells out beans in like a British accent. And so all these teenage girls are coming in yelling out beans in a British accent as like, it's their tick. But then they, they deliver the news and one of the parents is normally, oh yeah, I kind of thought it was all made up. And then the, the teenager generally like shuts down and mostly stops doing the ticks but not completely, but it is a real disorder. Wild functional neurological disorders. What age is, is this typically around teenage girls is what they say. So teenage. I don't know what teenage hmm. would be 13 to 18 or something like that. I have a two-year-old and he, he will repeat stuff until it, it, yeah, I could see that. I could see the sort of just, you see something enough and you mimic it. It's like, uh, it's almost like our, our lizard brain kind of just, eh, we need some sort of some rhythm. I don't know, but it's, it sounds sad. It sounds, I'd feel bad for those kids, but also got to have some time away devices. I'm not really sure what to say to that comment. I think it's just, yeah, I, I don't really blame them. I think it's our brains are just like not built to handle this like feed of information. And like the media is designed to enrage basically. And it's very effective at doing that. And if you spend all day staring at a screen, like it's just a feed of information to your brain that is not well equipped to handle that. Um, I don't like the only advice I have is interact with people in person you know, get outside, see the sun, eat healthy, sleep well, exercise, all the stuff that we were you know, more designed to do. Are we designed to sleep? I don't know if I get, I've not <laughs> been getting good sleep. I'm just going to say, and I'm, I'm not doing anything wrong, Colin. I got two small kids. It's just not happening for me. And that's a pushback I always get. I don't have any kids yet. And boy, yeah, everyone that's a young parent or parent of young children, they uh, push back at me on Twitter whenever I say anything like that. Yeah. I'm not doing anything wrong. You're making me feel bad. Anything else you got? No, that's it. All right. Uh, Take care, everyone. Thanks for listening.